At Getting Smart, we believe in the power of networks, communities, and uniting around a common purpose. Our next Smart Sprint, a two-week cohort-based learning experience focused on building a shared vision, kicks off on January 24th, 2022. We'd love for you, your district, or your organization to be a part of it. Learn more at gettingsmart.com slash smart sprints or at the link in the show notes. All right, let's jump in. So today we're going to talk about green schools and sustainability mindset, um, something that's been on our mind for a few years now, and we have some awesome guests who are going to help kind of walk us through this. Um, if you've never been to a Getting Smart Town Hall, just a brief overview. Uh, Getting Smart Town Hall creates the space to collaboratively design, discuss, and discover what's next in learning. Um, our time together will help to build collective momentum and understanding, better enabling us to empower every learner to thrive and act with purpose. And again, if you have not been to a Getting Smart Town Hall, we always begin with a poem. Um, today's poem is Let Them Not Say by Jane Hirschfield. And I will read it and I would welcome any reflections from people afterward. So be thinking. Um, let them not say we did not see it, we saw. Let them not say we did not hear it, we heard. Let them not say they did not taste it, we ate it, we trembled. Let them not say it was not spoken, not written. We spoke, we witnessed with voices and hands. Let them not say they did nothing. We did not enough. Let them say, as they must say something, a kerosene beauty it burned. Let them say, we warmed ourselves by it, read by its light, praised, and it burned. Thank you, Mason. Free- that, that one, um, that's a tough one. That, that's sort of on the nose. It, um, it's a real sort of an indictment um, poem. So one, one that I take personally, I didn't know how, how it landed on you. What? Yeah, I go ahead, Mason. Go ahead. Oh, just I, I I kind of just struck by this let them not say line repeating over and over again. I think in the case of the poem, it's obviously pointing towards a little bit more of a darker ending. Um, But I think that we had the opportunity to sort of write that differently um, and change what some of these after the colon thoughts are. Um, so I, I liked the, that opportunity and repetition for sure. It makes me think of the student um, uprisings of Greta Thunberg and um, the movement of students related to climate change and gun violence and um, racial injustice that is emerging. And, you know, when I think of let them not say, I think of the them as the students in our world, that young people in our world who see something that has been ignored for far too long. Yeah, thank you, Jenny. It, make, it reminds me of uh, Greta. It, it reminds me of Jerome Foster. Uh, we opened our difference making book with a story of Jerome Foster, a young man from Anacostia in DC who did decided to protest in front of the White House uh, every week of his junior and senior year uh, because of inaction on climate. Um, so I, I hear their voices ringing through this poem. 
Yeah, this definitely speaks to what future generations will, will ask of us as we do mm-hmm. nothing. It's this slow motion train wreck that we're creating around our environment. And, and yet here we sit and we keep talking about it and we treat it like, oh, it's one of these 20 problems. This is the problem. This is what we need to be focusing on. Mm-hmm. And I think they're pointing to a pretty dark future where, you know, why did they do nothing? Well, here we are. We need to do something. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, Tim, Tim Breen, everybody is uh, from Watershed and Boulder, a great new, um, a, a great micro school that, um, that does take this seriously and invites young people to become solutionaries. So thank you for joining us, Tim. Happy to be here. I've heard of you. I'm excited to meet you. Thank you for coming. I, I want to point out JD's uh, comment in the chat as well. Just asking the question of what is burning. I, I love that this poem keeps that kind of ambiguous. Um, so we can sort of interpret that as anything we've maybe neglected um, for too long, but thank you, JD. Okay. I kind of saw that. Yeah, no, go. go ahead. Well, I kind of saw that as a couple of things. It's our future, it's our environment, and it's also fossil fuels. For sure. Thank you, Tim. Tim has a great legacy as a public school superintendent and uh, is beginning to support uh, Jenny and the Green Schools National Network uh, in some important ways. So I don't know, like many people on this call, I, I feel ashamed that for so long I ignored this. One, one um, odd oddity that I wasn't going to talk about is that I'm, a, I'm actually a mineral engineer and I have a master's degree in energy finance. Um, and so in the early 80s, I was doing oil and gas economics, uh, sort of plotting um, the end of uh, oil in, in America. And um, it took me a long time to understand what was happening and the sort of aggregate culpability that we have as human beings for this. And so I don't know, I begin with an apology that it took me so long to get to this uh, town hall, but um, I, for one, have a real sense of passion that we have to have this conversation and we have to do it school by school, community by community, and that schools can play uh, a real leadership role on sustainability. And um, at least many of you have, in your own way and in your own space and time, come to a, a similar conclusion. I think that's what brings us together today. We have, um, I want to call out um, Jamie Cloud. Um, Jamie is a pioneer in education for sustainability. Jamie, I'm glad you joined us. I'm so glad that we connected earlier this week and that you could squeeze us in. Um, I I have been a student of Jamie's um, for a long time. And, you know, my, um, what did you call it? Damascus moment? Copernicus. So I, um, I have always had been connected with the natural world and didn't realize that how important it was for schools until as a young educator, I was trying to connect my students with the natural world, get them out of classrooms and found that it was virtually impossible because of the structures and systems that were in place. Um, And so it was always kind of an outlier as an educator. 
um, and did my doctorate in environmental studies rather than education because I felt that education research was holding us back and really be beginning to address the issues that were essential for the, um, you know, we had always been talking about 21st century. Um, now we're talking about 22nd century. Um, and so as a trailblazer always was trying to figure out, so what do schools need to be able to do? I've worked for um, 15 years with expeditionary learning, EL education, um, in that work and um, realized even for EL and a whole school model that sustaining those whole school models in school districts that were not structured or did not have systems in place for innovation that even sustaining those beautiful models was very difficult. And um, so my transition to Green Schools National Network um, was natural because it was, um, it's systems change and it's looking beyond the classroom into the systems and structures that are needed um, to prepare students for the 22nd century. Um, they're making decisions after all those kindergarten kiddos in, this, in our classrooms right now are making decisions, they're gonna be the decision makers and influencers of the 22nd century. And so if we don't make this shift now, we lose another generation. Um, actually multiple generations. So um, this work that we're doing with GSNN is essential. And, uh, you know, we stand on the shoulders of people like Jamie, um, probably Tim. I don't know how long, Tim Breen, how long you've been doing this work, but um, Tim Baird is one of our founding superintendents or was one of our founding superintendents. Um, what's your, I'd love to know about your road to Damascus moment. When, when did this yeah. become a priority for you as, a, as an educator? You know, it's, it's really interesting because I did not always view myself as an environmentalist um, coming up through an educational system that didn't really put a lot of value and, and process together around this. But as a superintendent, when I was superintendent in Ojai, California, we started doing more work with students engaging with the outside. And I had a high school there that was working on revitalizing um, a space next to the school that they were trying to bring it back to sort of a natural state. And just realizing for me, it came from the educational side, the engaging aspect of the work that these students were doing was so powerful that it drew me in. And then I started to realize, you know, this is creating an impact, not just on our school, but on our community. And right. started reading more and learning more. And, and it really sucked me in from the educational side. Um, I, a little backstory from, um, from me on um, Jenny and the Green Schools. We, we have, have known about their work for a number of years and done a little bit of writing together. And when, um, when Mason and um, and Jessica on our team, when Ashley and I uh, decided we, we have to we have to develop a campaign uh, around green schools, um, both both about making facilities more sustainable, but even more importantly about inviting young people like Tim is doing in, at his school, inviting them in to become solutionaries for the climate to really equip them to take on the issues of our day. Uh, we called up Jenny and we find out that she had just released this green print 
which is such an extraordinary resource. We're so uh, excited to be able to share it with you all today. It really is a blueprint, a green print, for how every school community can begin to move towards sustainability. And uh, Jenny, what we, we love about it is that um, you're not saying everybody has to do everything. You're, you're inviting people to do what they can, where they can, how they can. It, the green print really gives people a lot of different entry points for leading where they are and doing what they can. But t tell us about the, the green print. Sure. I just put the link in the chat. So if you'd like to pull it up, go right ahead, um, download it as I speak. So we um, launched this network of um, trailblazer schools. We called our catalyst schools and school districts um, in 2017. Like I said, Tim Baird was one of our founding superintendents. Um, and over um, since that time, we've been working with schools and school districts to understand what are the systems and what are the supports needed. Um, but one of the things that we found was that it wasn't just sustainability that, that we were um, addressing. It also, um, the bigger issues at play were also equity and um, health. Um, student achievement is there because we're working with public schools, but so we talk about our spheres of influence and when we are looking at schools and looking at impact, we really talk about um, health equity and sustainability and that sustainability, even though in the triple bottom line of sustainability, it's people profit planet, very few people think about the people side of things, the health and the equity, but those are critical components of schools. And so we have- oh, Jenny, Jenny, just give me a second to just put a big underscore and an exclamation mark. I was super excited to, to see equity be such a, an important plank here. It's so smart, it's so timely, and it's so important. You know what? the people that are really getting screwed um, in the climate crisis are the, the least um, the, the, the least able uh, to adapt and, and the least culpable um, in what they're experiencing. And what I'm super worried about is that automation from machine learning and the pandemic are having this like triple ratchet that in addition to climate change that these other meta forces in society are creating more and more um, inequity. And so it's just so important uh, to put equity at the forefront. And we just love the fact that it's right at the at the heart of everything you're doing. So thank you. I printed off my little um, diagram here, and I'll have to share this with you at some point, Tom. We've actually taken the sustainable development goals. And when we're working with schools, there are actually seven of the 17 sustainable development goals that are focused on um, so justice, equity, and inclusion, um, and five that are focused on economy, and three that are all, that are the natural systems. The right. um, life on water, life on land. Um, yeah. And Tim at uh, Watershed really invites learners to link to yeah. those goals in every one of their projects. So great. Great. Example. Excellent. So, so anyway, so as we started working with our schools and districts, and this document is informed by our partners as much as it is by research and, and best practice. Um, so our spheres of influence and the things that we want to make 
changes are um, identified on this slide, but we talk about impact systems and we talk about four impact systems that are actually um, need to be adjusted and, and worked with. So we talk about leadership, kind of a shared vision um, and strategic planning processes in, in leadership that incorporate um, equity, health and sustainability. Um, we also then look at curriculum and instruction as an impact system and, you know, really in our green print identify that every child should have a meaningful and significant um, unit of instruction or experience every grade K through 12 that is helping them develop this sustainability mindset that we're, um, we believe in. And that, you know, that sustainability mindset incorporates the knowledge and skills that students need to co-create that sustainable future. Um, and then we look at the culture and climate. So the social and emotional learning components and how that um, the culture and climate of the school influences values and beliefs about um, what's possible in the future. And finally, facilities and operations. And we believe that the building is an actual teaching tool of three-dimensional textbook. Um, and so when we are working with our architects and designers on these, Z, these net zero buildings, these um, buildings designed to um, allow students to understand how to live with um, a much smaller footprint, um, policies and practices related to purchasing, all of those kinds of things live in our facilities and operations side of things. So you'll, um, you'll see in the green print that we're not prescriptive. We just, it's a framework and a pathway. Um, and we help, we work with schools and school districts around the country in creating strategic plans so they can adopt. We identify where they're ready and then we work with them to create um, five-year action plans to um, implement different aspects, depending on what they're interested in. And they're tailored. Penny, you invite schools to, to become a member of the network, right? Yes, yes. So we have a um, open network where um, I can put the link um, in the website here. Um, join the network. We have ongoing newsletters. We um, have kind of a light touch membership where people can just come in and, and leverage resources and leverage all of the professional learning opportunities that we provide. And then, you know, the continuum goes to um, full transformation, district transformation and school transformation work. So everything on the range, I'll put the link into this, the um, strategic action plan we created with the Boulder Valley School District. Yeah, I'll put that link in. Super appreciate their leadership on climate. Tim, you probably have some visibility to Boulder Valley's work on this front. Tim Baird or Tim Breen? <laughs> oh, uh, either you probably both do, but Tim Breen is <laughs> is in Boulder, and um, you probably appreciate how they started in the on the operations facility side and right. has really moved into the curriculum. Great example right, of a public right. district taking this on, right? Yeah, and they're, you know, a lot of the operations facility stuff and they're, they're doing electric buses or they're aiming there. Um, and frankly, the city of Boulder is also an interesting resource, the, the government, because there's some really significant climate plans that the yeah. city has. 
that you know really can serve, I think, as as tools that students can engage in, um, sort of helping the city with that process. That's I love that. Hey, JD, you're you're are you close by in Denver? I am. What what what's your take on this green print? Do you love it? Absolutely. It's exactly the kind of work that our whole corporation is very keenly invested in and especially addressing uh, specifically the e-waste component. What's, we have a responsibility to support all communities with proper disposition and students absolutely can take uh, action and, and really lead this for districts. I love that. Theo, what, what's your take on the green print? Yeah. Take yourself off mute. Tell us what you think of the, uh, the green print. Is this on the right track? Sorry, sorry. Yeah, um, thanks for the opportunity. I'm actually calling in from Aotearoa, New Zealand. So I just am really interested in green schools and how it aligns with what we have here called Enviro Schools. Um, sorry, I'm not familiar with everyone's names, but is it um, Jamie? Jamie, who has developed this green print or is advocating for it? It's it's really good, and I was just wondering if um, if people are aware of Enviro Schools in New Zealand. It's a long-standing institution, very similar um, to the green print, um, very successful. Um, really like I like how the green prints quite um, open and flexible. Uh, I think something that Envira Schools does really well is it supports local curriculum and partnerships with communities so that the schools become part of the community and um, working to solve local problems. So I, I know there's scope in that but that's very clear from the, the co-papa or the, the mission of Envira Schools. So yeah, Jamie, just wondering if you've ever come across Enviro Schools. So I have, um, we actually sorry. Um, network schools. I'm Jenny. Um, yeah, Jenny, sorry. That's okay. One of our network schools um, has been using uh, a tool from New Zealand to help them um, identify their pathway. Uh, and so every year I get to, um, provide feedback to them. I get to take a site visit and use the tool, um, the sustainable schools tool, I thought is, but I think it comes out of Enviro Schools, yeah. Yeah, they do a lot of vision mapping. They have some mm -hmm. beautiful um, infographics and because a lot of it comes from uh, an indigenous um, base and they've just used that yeah, that indigenous perspective beautifully and then all their artistic sort of, um, yeah, material that goes along with the Enviro Schools resources is, is quite beautiful as well. So what I'm just saying, it's worth taking a look at as well and alongside of the green print. But um, yeah, it's, it's good to hear the States is, is finally getting on the bandwagon. Slow but sure. Our network are the early adopters. Tim, why don't you talk, Tim Baird, why don't you talk a little bit about your journey with Encinitas? I, I, let me first say though that why I love the green print is because it takes this systems look approach at work that we so often look at from one viewpoint or perspective. 
Uh, there's a lot of work going on out there with facility directors that look at the facility and say, we need solar, we need to you know, reduce water usage. And there are curriculum people out there that say kids need to learn about um, you know, environmental concepts and principles. And, and we never start putting these things together and take this overarching leadership approach to, we need to talk about facilities, we need to talk about culture, we need to talk about how we create policies and practices, and we need to tie this together in a system. So th those impact systems are important. And I think that's one of the contributions this Green Group really makes to the movement is, yeah, we're talking about health equity and sustainability, but we're talking about looking at it through this overall systems approach so that we're, we're bringing these things together. So that to me is really important in terms of this tool and how it helps people see it in a bigger way. Tim, so, I, I, yeah. I wanna, um... I'd love to get, a, I, I, wanna, I wanna focus on how to take on, how to build and take on a sustainability agenda without getting fired. So <laughs> this, this, you know, the, the notion of, of building community agreements to create space uh, in order to make sustainability, whatever that means to your community a, a priority. So would love your comment on that. If uh, Bob Hill is on, the Reverend Bob is a faith leader that I've visited a lot of schools with, I'd love to know how he's thinking about how faith communities can and should be part party to this conversation. But Tim, how, how do you start having a community dialogue that makes some version of this a priority so that you can do work and not get fired? Well, it's a great question. And I, I always start that the answer to that question that you can get fired for lots of things. And, <laughs> and as a superintendent, a one, right? <laughs> yeah, as, as a superintendent, you get fired for lots of things. So you might as well do the right work and, <laughs> and the, let the rest fall, you know, and so this is the right work. But I, but I will tell you that not all communities are ready for a conversation or if you come in and say, we need to talk climate change. And so there's lots of entry points to this work. You know, yeah. I mentioned earlier that student engagement yeah. was, um, was my entry point. So I think if you start talking about how can we help our students learn in a yeah. more effective way, that gets people's attention. I think um, sometimes school boards and communities are interested in how do we save money? Well, I can, I can make a strong argument that this work can help you save money. You want to talk about how do you get community engagement, how you get community partners on board. Yeah. This is a great tool to bring people in and start building up the support within the community for your district. Yeah. And then branding. I, you know, one of the things that Encinitas did, and we were, we've been doing this work now, I'm no longer with the district, but they're still doing this work in very meaningful, impactful ways um, since 2009. And, and one of the things that our community loves about that school district is that it is a green school district. It's part of the branding of the school district. People come to the school district because of that branding. So you can enter lots of doorways to get into this work. Oh, and by the way, you're helping to save the world and the planet. That's not a bad thing either. You uh, know? So, yeah. I appreciate that. I'm, um, Tim, I'm thinking yeah. of our friend Scott Murray, who's the superintendent in Odessa, Texas, right? If, if you're superintendent in Odessa, you can't, you can't go straight out and say, we're gonna kill oil and gas. Uh, but you can say we, we live in a hot, dry place. How how might we uh, better better adapt uh, to to the climate that we have and that we share? So, uh, Brother Bob, uh, uh, Reverend Hill is uh, is a a faith leader in Kansas City. He's a community organizer. We have visited uh, I don't know 100 schools together all over the United States. 
Um, Bob, what's your take on the role that faith uh, communities can have when it comes to, to sustainability and what role can they play in, in both hosting community dialogues and creating new agreements? Sure, sure. Well, number one in, in the entire area, do your homework. So uh, everybody ought to be very conversant with the unsettling of America by Wendell Berry on the one hand, and then also by John Cobb's old, 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 very old book uh, called Is It Too Late? A Theology of Ecology. Um, and I'll put some links to those both, both of those books in the chat and eventually. But um, uh, those are classic texts. And by the way, Cobb's book just got recently released. It's not done. It's 50 years old. Wow. <laughs> and I was in a, a group when I was 19 years old uh, in Claremont, California, as part of a conversation group right when it came out. Uh, but number one, uh, you have to speak well. If you can speak eloquently, it was said about Gardner C. Taylor that he was so mellifluous of voice and so uh, artistic of rhetoric that he could tell you to go to hell in such a way that you look forward to the, the trip. So that's number one, you could do that. But number two is you do just like Tim just suggested and just like you alluded to with regard to West Texas oil, you do what you can. In community organizing terms, you always get what victories are there. You have to stretch, you have to reach, but you do not say, I wanna solve climate change. Well, I don't wanna work with that person because they're not gonna get anything done. Uh, if I say I'm going to work with the science class um, on saying what is a mercy thing that we can do and what is a justice thing that we can do. Yeah. Mercy things is growing little pods where things poke up and you go take that home to your mother and make them cry because they're learning about growth. But a justice thing is to do a research paper on Flint, Michigan. Um, so, so the mercy in faith communities, and this would be not for, uh, a faith leader has to challenge other faith leaders and say, you know, it's nice that you have a food pantry and it's nice that you want to provide bottled water for people. Can we talk about the cesspool that they're living in? And can we do a justice orientation discussion? A lot of this is just showing up and building relationships again and again and again, drinking a lot of coffee um, and learning a different kind of cuisine because you got to learn where people and what they eat. And it's a, it's a delight. So for a gourmand like Tom Vanderark, he gets to eat with everybody and all kinds of food. So uh, you want to hang with Tom and other people who know where the good restaurants are. Great. Maggie, uh, what's, what's the, uh, PR take on this. Uh, tell us how you think about it from a from a Puerto Rico vantage point. Yeah, I'd love to. Thank you, Tom. It's an honor to be part of this group. Um, I've been looking forward to this for a long time. I'm sorry I was only able to jump on late. Um, in Puerto Rico, of course, the environmental injustice is huge. As you might imagine, Puerto Rico is a colony of the United States and companies have been allowed to dump there for ages, including um, massive quantities of coal ash, which is poisoning the ground and the water. 
uh, also the air. And so I wanted to tell you the story of one um, community school there. Um, it's, they call themselves Aula La Montaña, which means classroom in the mountains or classroom in, on the mount, in the mountain. Um, and this is a small community in Penuelas, which is in the southwestern corner of the island, where there's also a large oil refinery um, that uh, also uses coal to power the refinery. So the coal ash just rolls right up the mountain and sits there. And so this school doesn't have very good access to school. So, or this, these people don't have very much access to school. Uh, there's power issues, um, which also affects their water filtration. There's uh, internet issues. So they decided to create their own school. And the key element of the school is that the children are running a community garden. And they're essentially learning everything from history, from social justice, food security, food science, food systems, ecosystems, ecology, through their garden. And in addition, they're learning leadership and entrepreneurship and um, social and emotional well-being. Um, so, you know, my favorite quote from the last time I was there was a little kid, six years old, who said, I have seeds. And so the children have now guaranteed that every single person in the community has a box of seeds. And the, so the, I mean, in Puerto Rico, you can farm year round, but if there were to be another disaster, they almost starved after the last one because there was no access to their community. And so now the six-year-olds are making sure that they have emergency food supply and the sense of well-being and belonging that comes from that gives these children the authority to make demands of systems and to change them if they don't work. And they understand how systems work. I mean, the same kid who said, I have seeds is like... I'm going to give, I'm going to plant some of these and give the rest to my chickens and then I'll have eggs. So I'll stop there. Thank you. So I love that there's a um, school in West Palm Beach, Pine Jog Elementary Public School, part of a very large school district. Um, they actually have vertical gardens and have taught all of their students how to garden. And in their school store, they give away seeds. And so kids are coming to the store, the school store to get seeds, to be able to take home, to plant gardens in their yards, you know, and, you know, little tiny plots that they can find in their urban area, their, you know, their asphalt landscape. It's, it's gorgeous, it's beautiful. They have 700 parents who volunteer to come and work and support their gardens. That's amazing. So uh, yeah, along with that, I just wanna add that the garden has made the whole community a learning community, right? The intergenerational function of this, the ancient wisdom that's being passed on from generation to generation is incredible. Um, I believe that every school should have a garden because actually food security is a revolutionary act. And it not only contributes to individual students' well-being, 
but it also contributes overall to the community's health. And we know, like research shows that people deal with trauma and stress much better when they have some efficacy. And having a garden gives you the sense that you can control, mm. have an influence on the world around you. Yeah. And for indigenous communities, the food sovereignty issues. Exactly. And yes. reclaiming that sovereignty um, around what is served and and how what they grow in their gardens is absolutely Thank you. And that's not only an issue for indigenous communities, uh, but also African-American ones. Absolutely. That have been, you know, really have a contentious relationship with land because of plantation history and enslavement. And so taking back the land is also a very, you know, the ancestors are in the land. And so that's a very, uh, the Penniman sisters, if you want to, and Soul Fire Farm. Um, yep. it, that's a great place to start reading in about North that. North Carolina? Is that the one in North Carolina? Uh, the Soul Fire Farm is in the Hudson Valley. Okay, North. there's a, there's, I can't remember the name of it. There's a beautiful farm in South, in North Carolina um, that is, is just amazing. What they're yes, doing. great. Maggie, what I, what I love about that example is that it shows that our role is not to teach kids about the environment. It's to empower them to do something about that. Now, in that mm -hmm. process, we teach them. And so when uh, my favorite story is, is we had kindergartners that were learning about the impact of plastic straws on our local bird population. And before I know it, I've got a letter and we're a green school district, but we've got plastic straws. I've got a letter from a kindergartner. She comes to a board meeting. She meets with me. I can guarantee you the next month, we did not have plastic straws in our district. It was just an oversight on our part. That empowered fourth graders to say, well, wait a minute, Dr. Baird, we have this little plastic bag of waste that the lunch stuff comes in. Why is that there? Why do we have a plastic spoon? Suddenly they are redoing our food service program and kids are solving this problem. We have to empower our students to do more with this. And, and we give them the tools and the knowledge and then turn them loose and get out of their way. But Tim, I wanna go back to a, a point that you were making earlier about the brand of the school, right? And thinking about what makes people attracted to Encinitas. And uh, you know, before the pandemic happened, we were seeing a lot of rise in rates of mental health, anxiety, and depression in teens. And some of that, you know, is seriously exacerbated during the pandemic. And it's just sort of lack of a sense of control or inability to influence the events that are swirling. And of course, there's a social media aspect as well. Kids are more exposed to videos that are either doom and gloom or like Greta Thunberg, very much action oriented. And they're pulled strongly in both directions. So I think in all of this enablement of student capacity, it absolutely addresses a mental health and social emotional support like you brought up, Maggie. So I just, I, I love that we have the ability to teach and learn and, and grow some dispositions along with the knowledge and skills. So this, it, it, yeah. May I also offer a secondary perspective? Um, I'll be brief because I, um, I don't want to take up time, but I want to piggyback on what Maggie was saying and what we're talking about empowering kids because that's what both getting smart and green um, and our green schools are about is empowering students and 
um, not to be political, but right after the first the election of um, um, President Trump, um, I came to my school, which is a high school, Tesla STEM High School in Washington State. And there was a meeting at 7.30 in the morning before school and a hundred students showed up um, to talk about what they wanted to do. Um, and the room was kind of electric and they decided that they wanted to make a difference in climate change and they wanted to um, live the Paris Accords. And so they started a grassroots um, movement first by empowering all of us at the school to um, uh, have our carbon footprint um, in accordance with the Paris Accords. But then they went to other schools throughout the district, the state and across the country um, and made a huge impact. And so I just wanted to say that um, it is super powerful when our elementary school kids are starting at kindergarten knowing that they can make a difference. But I also just thought it's important to hear that um, sometimes we can be jaded about high school kids, but it's really important we empower them all the way up. So thank you. Awesome, awesome story. Thank you for adding that, Cynthia. Um, Jenny, um, let, let's, uh, in our last uh, 10 or 15 minutes, talk about uh, what, we, what we do next. Um, let's think about next steps and, and entry points and how folks can put the, uh, the green print to work and uh, maybe a couple of the, the things that you guys are working on that will be helpful to folks. Great, well, there are a number of opportunities for everybody, which I think um, are critical. So downloading the green print, um, you know, having conversations with your school board members, you know, understanding who your school board members are is, is critical. Um, school board members, the policies that school boards pass have longevity. And so I think that um, that's a, it's a really important, those of us that are just community members and maybe not in directly in schools, that's where we can influence. Um, understanding, um, and if there is a, a pathway, if you know somebody in, in your district who might be interested in this work, um, introduce them to me or Tim, and um, we can start a dialogue and, and figure out how they can be engaged. One of the things that we believe and that we know from our partners is that this is hard work um, and you can't do it alone. It's important to have a community and I, the thought um, collective that Tom has created around progressive, you know, really radical thinking around what's possible in education um, we've created that for people who have this radical, you know, desire to, to create systems that are healthy, equitable, and sustainable in schools. So um, join the community is, is important. Um, we have a book coming out um, in January. You can actually, actually, I don't have that on the, as a link. Um, Janelle or Tim, if you could put that in as a link. Um, What's the book called, Jenny? It's um, Whole Schools Trailblazers um, in Whole School Sustainability Educators in Action. And I can pull that up. comes up right. It's a Routledge um, publication. I just got it. So I'll put it in the chat. Um, 
this story it, or this book is written by educators. Um, it's a edited um, collection of case studies around leadership, climate and culture, um, curriculum and instruction and facilities and operations. Um, and even on our website, the Green Schools um, Catalyst Quarterly, we've been publishing. It's the only peer-reviewed journal um, in the movement right now. Um, we've been publishing since 2017. So um, there are a ton of articles. Each issue has a theme related to some aspect of transforming um, K-12 education. We look at it, you know, from, you know, health, sustainability, um, economics, um, equity, all of those things are built into the structure. We have student writers and, and, and that's awesome. those are easy actions um, that we can all take <laughs> and get out there and voice <laughs> dreams. We love that. Um, and it feels like the world is coming to your issue. I guess, Jenny, I'm, uh, I'm optimistic that just in 2021, it feels like climate has broken through um, in the popular media and press. Uh, we, we, a number of years ago, reached scientific consensus uh, about the impacts of, um, of warming. And it just feels like this issue has finally surfaced in a way that has created an opportunity for education leaders to really bring it into their operations and into their curriculum. And so we'd so appreciate uh, your leadership. And Tim, thanks for helping to lead this fight. Uh, we'll give you the closing thoughts. So thank you, Tom. and. Jenny gave the right answer on how to get started with this, but it can sound daunting. So I wanted to make sure I gave the dollar store version of that, which is that, you know, one of our foundational beliefs is that everybody is a learner and a leader. So all of the educators out there, this is not overwhelming work. And yes, get the Green Schools National Network to help you if you can, but if you can't do something, just start doing something. And I always talk about this with people that, I, I talk about the three Gs. There are three Gs out there that if you do nothing else, if use one of these, start a green team. Be that at your site or in your district, start a green team. Get people to help you with this work. Work on a garden, deal with your garbage. Any one of those are three great easy starting points for anybody, you can do it tomorrow, it takes $10. And, and anybody can do that. So yes, get the Green Schools National Network to help you. We, we really can help you with that. But if you can't, do something. And I, I wanna underscore Reverend Hill's uh, admonition to be smart, be articulate, and take every win you can get. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, Absolutely. I, th this is maybe the, the first of our town halls and podcasts on this topic, but it won't be the last. We are committing our organization to be a leader on uh, the subject of sustainability, sustainability education. We so appreciate the contributions of everybody here, but uh, particularly our friends from the Green Schools National Network. Really appreciate all of you. Hope you have a great rest of your week. Thanks all. Be we'll well. Be green. Thanks for tuning in to the Getting Smart podcast today. 
We want this podcast to be actionable, insightful, and a great way to learn about what's next in learning. In order to stay on the cutting edge, we need people in the field to tell us what they're hearing, what they're wanting, and what they're needing to learn more about. Got a topic or a guest in mind? Send your recommendations to me, Mason at GettingSmart.com. And if you like what you're hearing, don't forget to leave a review in Apple Podcasts or subscribe wherever you listen. Feel free to share the podcast on social media using the hashtag GSPodcasts. Thanks so much.